today on Ag News Daily. You know, especially with cotton, um, once it left the gin, we had no idea where it would end up, you know, on the global market. And so when we started covering cotton, it was definitely a crash course in um, the textile industry. Good afternoon and happy Friday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr going solo today as Delaney is out in the fields doing some work. So I am going to carry us into Halloween weekend here. I don't have too many Halloween plans myself, although I suspect that based on our conversation yesterday, Delaney has some Halloween plans. She might be going trick-or-treating since she wants to be an adult that trick-or-treats. And honestly, free candy sounds pretty good, so maybe I'll end up doing the same. But if you have any fun ag-themed costumes, definitely tag us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram for those fun costumes. My younger sister is obsessed with Lone Star Law. It's a game warden show. So she is going as a game warden for Halloween and she's taking one of our dogs with her and the dog is dressing up too as her sidekick. So I know that one is going to be a fun, I guess, semi-ag themed costume that I'm going to see out there and maybe we'll see some more, but I won't keep you guys too long as it is a holiday-ish weekend, but I'm going to start some news off here talking about Foster Farms, which is a family-owned poultry producer, is exploring a sale. The Livingston, California-based company is working with an advisor as it solicits takeover interest from bidders, including private equity firms. Tyson Foods actually held talks about buying Foster Farms back in 2019, but no deal was ever consummated. I'm wondering if Tyson is going to come to the table here, but demand for poultry products has spurred consolidation. Back in August, we know that Cargill and Continental Grain agreed to buy U.S. chicken producers Sanderson Farms for $4.53 billion in cash, while JBS proposed acquiring the stake in Pilgrim's pride that it didn't already own. So I am wondering if any of these big names are really going to come to the table here, but I thought it was interesting and I'm ready to see how much the deal goes for. I'm wondering how many dollars are going to be spent on, you know, taking over Foster Farms because it seems like there is quite a bit of interest here when it comes to the poultry industry. But I'm going to move things over here talking about the infrastructure bill. I believe it was yesterday that I reported that we were hoping to get a vote. Uh, House Speaker Pelosi was really, really trying to push for one. But while the U.S. House took a vote the last night, it was not on the bipartisan Senate-passed infrastructure bill. Members voted to temporarily reauthorize transportation funding through December 3rd. The Senate quickly voted to approve that. And like I said yesterday, there was kind of some iffiness. Don't really know that that's a word, but uh, there was some iffiness um, from progressive Democrats And they opposed the $550 billion infrastructure bill as they said they need more time to review the details of President Biden's $1.75 trillion budget reconciliation framework. December 3rd is also the date party leaders have set to address government funding and the debt 
limit. So go ahead and mark that on your calendars as I'm sure we're going to be reporting on some things between now and then when it comes to those kinds of things. So you'll have to tune back in there to see what comes of this story. Another story that we have really been keeping our ears out on is the price of fertilizer. And Delaney reported sometime within the past week or so, the tweet coming from Josh Linville talking about how in India they were really kind of fighting for fertilizer. And it looks like a madhouse. I compared it to, you know, Black Friday at Walmart, something of that nature. And it looks like things might be shifting over to France as farmers in that country have stepped up fertilizer purchases this month amid fears of shortages as they, quote, wrestle with mounting costs that could affect next year's harvest. Fertilizer orders in France had been slower than usual in recent months as farmers bulked at rising costs, with one of the top fertilizer producers observing a 10 to 15% lag versus usual levels by the start of October. The upturn in demand at a time of constrained supply reinforced a rise in prices triggered by surging international fertilizer markets. This buying rush should have let farmers catch up at least partly on fertilizer reserves, but they will face more difficult cost decisions for the key spring growing period. So, of course, we're continuing to see this really just affect producers around the world. We've heard a couple stories, you know, from South America, from Brazil in particular, and then now India and France is being added to that list. So we're going to be keeping our ears peeled or, you know, see if there's just an end in sight. And honestly, the news doesn't um, look so positive, which is, a little intimidating just because the growing season, of course, you know, is just kind of around the corner really here. So we're going to continue to see if, you know, anything positive happens. So putting the positive affirmations out there that we do see some kind of good news come through here in, you know, the next coming weeks, that would really be um, the best news, best situation possible, but don't really know that um, it's going to be one that we see going to round things out here, just kind of talking about a little harvest update. We have seen a growing amount of green stem syndrome cases come out from soybean harvest. Seth Nave, who is an extension soybean agronomist with the University of Minnesota, says that tons of green stem syndrome has been all over. And what's really interesting is that we see not only those really troublesome field-wide green stems, but they actually saw it in some really exaggerated cases where we had seed quality issues because the seeds rotted in the pod later in the year. Nave says that he's seen photos of fully mature soybeans that were shooting leaves out of the bottom nodes, which would also compromise seed quality. He told Brownfield Ag News that a combination of environmental stressors and seed variety seem to affect some soybeans worse than others. So if any of our listeners out there are struggling with green stem syndrome, definitely shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily. We'd love to have a conversation more about this. I know that we've done... Um, a couple of episodes here now talking about harvest and some disease that we've been seeing, but we haven't really covered green stem syndrome. So if this is something you're familiar with or that you've experienced yourself, we definitely want to know about that.
But I'm going to go ahead and kick things over talking about markets here before our Friday interview talking about cotton. So before we get started about that commodity, let's talk about corn here. The December up five and a half cents to close at 568 and a quarter. The March up five cents to close at 576 and a quarter. In soybeans, the November up two cents to close at 1235 and three quarters. The January up three and a half cents to close at 1249 and a half. In spring wheat, the December up 14 and three quarter cents to close at 10.52 and a quarter. The March up 14 and a quarter to close at 10.33. Heading over into livestock. Not good news for the cattle markets here today as the December live cattle contract closes a dollar and five cents lower at 129.27 and a half. The February down a dollar 52 and a half to close at 134.22 and a half. In feeder cattle, same story here as the November contract closes a dollar and seven and a half cents lower at 156.57 and a half. The January down a dollar 45 to close at 156.12 and a half. Good news here in lean hogs is the December contract closes 87 and a half cents higher at 76.07 and a half. The February up a dollar 47 and a half to close at 78.67 and a half. Rounding things out with the class three dairy milk futures. The November contract up three cents higher to close at 1858. The December unchanged to close at 1851. With that, I'm going to kick it over to my conversation with Tracy Woodard of Covered in Cotton. Well, happy Friday, everyone. And I am excited for our Friday conversation here with Tracy Woodard of Covered in Cotton. Tracy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to chat today. Thank you so much for having me. So Tracy, before we get started talking about Covered in Cotton, I want to know a little bit more about you and your family because it is a family operation after all. That's right. Yeah, so I didn't grow up um on a farm and um so all of this has been a journey of me just finding my passion for agriculture and for the farm um I married the farmer Ty about 13 years ago and I married the farm too and so um uh, my husband and I we met as students at Clemson University and um after we got married moved back here to Darlington South Carolina where he joined um, his family farm. Um, he's the third generation. Uh, his granddad started the farm, Woodard Farms, back in 1962. And so we've grown and changed a lot since then. And um, it's been really fun in this journey of um, building covered in cotton for me to find my place in the family farm and how I can contribute and share our farm story uh, with the world. And that's really awesome to hear. I always like talking to people who didn't grow up in the ag industry, but now have just fully immersed themselves, which it sounds like you've really done here with Covered in Cotton. Yes. Um, My husband and I joke about how, you know, I was the city girl coming in. Um, I quickly lost that title and picked up, you know, a few others, Um, you know, cow, midwife, tractor driver, Uh, meal deliverer, you know, all of those um, titles that are specific to family farms. Um, But yeah, Covered in Cotton has really been this labor of love that's allowed me to um, 
share that story because, you know, my husband, um, he's um, owner operator of Woodard Farms with his dad and his brother. Um, and so they're busy actually farming. And so it's really a neat opportunity for me to be able to um, share what it's really like on an American farm and kind of dispel some of those myths and mistruths about who American farmers really are and what really happens on our operations. And you're really telling a cool story here with Covered in Cotton because, you know, you are doing something with a cause. And I want to get into that here in a moment. But before we do, why don't you kind of walk us through the process of, you know, growing this cotton to the end product? How does that all work? Yeah. So um, we grow cotton, corn, soybeans, peanuts, and we have beef cattle here on our farm. And so Cotton has always just been that special um, crop for us. You know, we're just really partial to cotton. I mean, obviously, it's an incredible plant. It's beautiful. Um, I'm looking out my window now and, and looking at, you know, a beautiful white field of cotton. Um, and so when we talked about, you know, a way that we could kind of connect with consumers, because most of what we do is you know, um, on a large scale and, and once it leaves our farm and, you know, especially with cotton, um, once it left the gin, we had no idea where it would end up, you know, on the global market. And so when we started covering cotton, it was definitely a crash course in, um, the textile industry and really this part of the process that we didn't know much about. And so once, um, you know, we harvest the cotton here on our farm, you know, in the fall. Um, everything goes to the cotton gin where we get back all of the um, quality specifications of each bale from our farm. And so we look at that and choose the highest quality out of what we grow. And we handpick those bales to then go to our yarn spinner in Thomasville, North Carolina, and then from there, after they've spun the yarn, it goes to Hickory, North Carolina, where they ply the yarn together. And then another stop in the process is back into South Carolina in Blacksburg, where we have a commercial weaver that weaves our throw blankets and the fabric for our hand towels and baby blankets. And then another stop um, comes into Darlington County, where we are here in South Carolina, um, a um, cut and sew operation in Lamar, uh, where they sew on the labels um, to our throws and they cut and sew the hand towels and baby blankets. And then to round out um, that journey, it's about 500 miles round trip before it makes its way back to our farm where we package um, all of the products. We process all of the orders from our website and we ship them out all over the world. And so no one piece of the puzzle, these local family-owned businesses that we work with are about 100 and no one is more than, you know, 150 miles from our farm. And so, you know, it's really cool for us to be able to invest in local communities, you know, here in the Carolinas and um, get to know these family businesses that have a hand in producing our products. I think it's a really neat process that you just described and being able to work with other family operations, I'm sure is just, you know, a, a really great experience for you guys. But 
After we've kind of talked about the way that you guys operate, I want to know a little bit more about Cotton with a Cause, which is just one of the pages on y'all's website that I've looked over a little bit. And I'd really love to hear more about this story and kind of connect all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. So covering cotton for us really just connects the things that are most important to us. And that's our faith, our family and our farm. And so part of our mission is our cotton with a cause, which is really an extension of our story and um, what the Lord has done in our family. So back in December of 2015, our um Two youngest kids are twins, uh, boy and a girl, Tobin and Tyson. And Tobin, our little boy, he was three months old at the time in December of 2015, and he contracted bacterial meningitis. And as you would imagine, that was um, the most difficult season that we had had to walk through as a family. And so he spent 35 days in a children's hospital um, in Columbia, South Carolina, And on his very first Christmas Eve, he actually had emergency brain surgery um, from complications from that bacterial meningitis. And so we had an incredible community, um, our church, you know, the agriculture community, people even all over the world that we'd never even met before praying for our family and for our son and just loving on us in some incredible ways. And one of those was Allie, who was a nurse that we met uh, our very first day in the hospital. And we only had her for one shift, but um, she's just the type of person that um, is just generous and kind. And so she actually found us a couple of weeks later when we had changed rooms and brought us a blanket. And so at the time, that blanket, you know, was a practical gift because it's cold and uncomfortable in hospitals. And we were living there with our son. And eventually that blanket became this symbol of the Lord just covering and protecting our family during some of the darkest days of our lives. And so um, thankfully, our son Tobin is completely healed today. He's six years old. He started kindergarten. Uh, He sees no specialists, no doctors. Um, outside of his normal pediatrician, you know, they had cautioned us that he would uh, most likely lose some of his hearing and vision and that at the very worst, he would never um, physically, well, mentally develop past three months old. And so we had kind of braced ourselves for, you know, really the unknown, but the Lord completely healed him in every way. And so, Now, when we started Covered in Cotton, uh, when the vision came for it, all of that came full circle where we can share what we do on our farm and the products that we create with other families who may be going through something similar. So for every 10 throw blankets we sell, we donate one to a children's hospital in South Carolina. You know, Tracy, our Friday episodes are usually exciting, and this one definitely is. I really love getting to know your story a little bit better, but I didn't know that this was going to be a conversation that would make me a little bit misty-eyed, so I'm 
going to have to <laughs> reel it in a little bit here, but it's really been interesting to just get to know the Covered in Cotton story. And if any of our listeners want to learn a little bit more about you and your family, um, if they want to shop your collections, and you guys even have an event coming up here soon. So if anybody in the Carolinas wants to participate, where can they find you guys at online? Coveredincotton.com um, has all of our contact information. And about that cotton Christmas event we're having, um, yeah, that's the best place to find out everything. I got a little bit ahead of myself here. So I just have kind of one more final question, Tracy. And that's just being, you know, what does the future look like for Covered in Cotton? You know, we really have um, this heart to promote you know, the natural comfort and quality of American cotton. Um, And then also invite people into relationships where they can, you know, really see the wonder and the truth of agriculture. And so everything we do and every opportunity that comes along, if it fits within, you know, that those parts of our mission, um, that's our, our guiding framework for that. And so I had someone ask me just recently, you know, what are your goals? Where do you see covering cotton? Um, becoming and and really, we have no idea. This is actually so much bigger than what we originally um, had in mind um, when we started covering cotton um, at the end of 2018. And so, you know, we would love to continue to um, draw the connection with people about um, where their you know where their fiber comes from and who grows it. Um, and so as many people as we can, you know, share that message with and our products with, um, we're, we're there, we're, we're ready for the journey. You know, if that's, um, you know, in Target one day, like, hey, that's awesome that we can be able to connect that with people. And as, you know, American farmers to be able to um, offer our own products um, and be a part of the whole process of sharing from all the way from the seed to the final stitch once it ends up at someone's door. Well, Tracy, once again, I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story with myself and of course the Ag News Daily listeners. Yes, thank you so much. This has been fun. in there to Tracy for coming on, sharing her story with us. Like I said, I always love talking to people who have really just immersed themselves in the world of agriculture and people who are willing to share the story of American farmers, which is exactly what Tracy and her family is doing with Covered in Cotton. So definitely go give them a look and follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram because that's where I found them was on social media. And while you're at it, follow Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. With that, I'm going to let the people go.